Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. What? Mayflowers. What do Mayflowers bring? Pilgrims, yes. Something that's never get old. All right. So that works, that works. All right, so if you would, take your Bibles. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5 today. A little echo out there. That's a really good voice. There we go. Right, right. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. Now, uh, by way of review, last week we looked at the end of Galatians chapter 4, where Paul uses a picture of Abraham's two sons. The first son was Ishmael, the second son was Isaac, and one of them represented the spirit, one of them represented the flesh. What has, what has to happen when those two are together? Well, those two can never be together, so one of them had to leave. And what he makes the point of is Ishmael had to be kicked out. The flesh is always in contradiction with the spirit, and those two things cannot be together, right? So we saw last week that uh, Ishmael was cast out along with his mother, and coming off that example, Paul cha- uh, charges Christians to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, right? And I emphasized and overemphasized that it's not a freedom to go do what we want. It's not a freedom to go live in sin. You know, Paul has some words to say about that too. Shall we live in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, right? So that's not it right there. Well, if it's not to live in sin and please ourselves and serve ourselves, then what is it for? It's to serve the Lord and love one another, right? That's the command that we were given last week. Uh, He said to return you know, to fall away from that grace that we're in would be to return to the bondage of living under the law. And I said, how many commandments were there that we were to follow? Not just 10, but how many? Do you guys recall? 613, right? Or 21. We added a couple. So we'll leave it at 613, right? If you want to follow a couple more, then talk to pastor. You can get in line, okay? But 613. Imagine the challenge of trying to keep 613. I have three kids and I struggle with their names sometimes. You know, I, I call the dog and at least she comes, but it's a challenge to try to follow a few things. But here, it was just insane. And that's what Paul's point was. He goes, there's no way you can live under the loss. Why would you, even if you could? And he goes, don't go back. Don't fall from grace. And again, not losing salvation, but to fall from grace is to leave the grace and the freedom we've been given and revert to the law to try to do things to earn your own way. I concluded last week's message with the transition verse, which will be where we'll start today, Galatians 5.16. Paul says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And we'll start right there. Let's take a moment to uh, ask the Lord to help us to uh, listen and to understand and uh, me to speak clearly and not let my mind wander. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for uh, bringing each of us here. We thank you for your word that you uh, so so craftily gave to us so that we could read and we could understand, we could be encouraged and challenged. We would, give, we would be given the direction we so much need. Father, help us today to learn from your word. Help us to see what you have for us. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, walking is a very familiar activity. We all do it every day, right? But you also know and you can tell when one part of your body is out of joint. I looked it up and there's about 200 bones and muscles that have to work together to allow you to take one step. 
And when your little pinky toe is one of those, and you know there's an issue there, you know about it, and it throws off your entire body. Uh, walking is a dynamic series of actions that calls upon a chain of bones, muscles, and nerves to work together throughout each stride and footstep. Now you have muscles. Muscles are the connective thing, right? They keep everything tied together. How do you feel when your muscles are tight? Can you walk nice and easy? No, absolutely not. You're hunched over, you're kind of limping. You know, it's, it's tough. How do you feel when one of your bones is out of alignment? You know, they give a whole list of bones here, the fibula, tibia, patella, uh, the hip bones connected to the, well, you know the song, right? But how do you feel when one of your bones is out of alignment? Does that throw off your ability to walk? Absolutely, and then there's arthritis we can mix in, there's uh, neuropathy, there's all kinds of things that can throw off how we walk. Walking seems easy, but is it always easy? Not always, and then if you have to throw on the burdens that we carry around, now your body is struggling as it is just to walk, and now you have all this heavy burden, and it can really be a compromising thing, right? Walking is not just a great activity, but the more you walk, the more it strengthens your body. So even when things hurt, what's the worst thing you can do? If it's hard, oh, this is too hard, I'll just stop, right? We had a cat that I really enjoyed, and I had a set of headphones, and I put the set of headphones on the cat, and it wasn't abuse or anything like that, but the cat took one step and just fell over on her side and said, this is too hard, right? And it's a, why do I share it? Because it's a great picture of what we are tempted to do sometimes. Oh, it's too much, and just you know, give up and be done. But that's not it. When walking gets hard, what should we do? Keep walking, right? Uh, it's a great activity. It'll strengthen the entire body, your muscles, bones, and nerves. Um, but why all this talk about walking? Well, because the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust thereof. You know, do you remember the first time you took your first steps? Most of us probably don't, right? I do, however, remember when I was in seventh grade, I had walking pneumonia, but kind of an ironic thing because I wasn't walking, and I was laid up for two weeks. And I remember at the end of the two weeks, I started feeling better, and it hurt to walk. And I had to get back up, and you know, muscles that, had, that were used hadn't been used in a while, and there was a very real temptation to not get up because, oh, that hurts, and ooh, people bring me food, this is great, you know? And the, the, um, the challenge was to get back up, to work through the pain, and get back to where you needed to be. And I wanna challenge you with that same thing here. Uh, it was tempting not to walk because walking was painful. Why would we do anything that causes us pain? Well, if we didn't do things that caused us pain, there wouldn't be any of us here today because from what I hear, pregnancy can be, or you know, the birth process can be pretty, pretty painful, right? And that's all I'm gonna say about that. But we see here what happens. Well, we all know of stories where someone was severely injured and had to learn to walk again. It's frustrating, it's time consuming, it's painful, and it involves falling, right? A little kid, when they fall, when they're learning how to walk, it's funny, it's cute, they get back up and they keep at it, right? When an adult falls and they're learning how to walk again, maybe they had, you know, maybe they lost a leg, maybe they're a combat veteran or something happened. There's a lot of things that they have to go through to walk again. The hardest thing, I think, is the will to walk again. Once you have the will to walk again, then everything else is, this is what I'm gonna do and their purpose to do it. But getting that will to walk again is the hardest part, in my opinion. When Paul tells us to walk in the spirit, it was not a light command or something that would be easy to do. Look at the verse, he says, this I say then, after talking about everything else, 
That's the conclusion he comes to. He says, walk in the spirit. This is what you have to do. This I say then, walk in the spirit that you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, it's your only hope in overcoming the temptation to go back to being under the law, to go back to what we said was legalism, you know, doing all these things to justify yourself in the sight of God instead of taking the free gift of salvation that he has given to us and that he's secured through his work on the cross. Then is the command of what we need to do, walk in the spirit. Again, walk in the spirit, just like learning to walk is an absolute challenge, it's also an absolute necessity. Think about how much of your life, in your life that you've been able to do because you're able to walk, right? Think about how many wonderful things you've been able to do and see because you've learned how to walk. Now translate this to the spiritual realm. Think about it spiritually as Paul is saying, and you'll understand what Paul is saying here. Learn to walk in the spirit so you're not walking in the flesh. Walking in the spirit is so hard because it's not our default position. It's easy to walk in the flesh. Nobody really ever had to struggle to walk in the flesh, right? That's the easy thing to do. Walking in the spirit is a challenge. Now, I don't need a show of hands, but I think most people here have at least one pair of shoes at home, right? And we could do, there's some laughing, I knew that was gonna come. We could do a little you know, shoe uh, challenge here and see whose hand remains up when I say more than five, more than 10, more than 20. Hopefully, well, I do see some smiles still, so we won't go past that. But when you buy a pair of shoes, do they always fit right away? Do they always fit 100% comfortably right away? No, sometimes they have to get broken in. My dad, when he was uh, young, he walked early and his legs bowed a little bit and they had to get some braces on his legs and ankles to help him learn how to walk. Do you think those braces were comfortable? No, do you think as a little kid he liked those? Absolutely not, but what did the brace do? The brace guided and strengthened his legs as they were growing to help him walk as he needed to walk, right? Walking in the spirit is painful sometimes because what are you telling no? You're telling your flesh no. You're saying, I reject that so I can instead choose this. It's not an easy decision sometimes. That's why Paul says again and again and again, learn to walk in the spirit. Uh, think about the, what's involved with you know, the effort involved there. Uh, walking in the spirit is, requires effort and you may trip and fall once in a while, but keep at it and as you are strengthened, it will become easier. Think about the power or the torque needed for a tractor trailer to get started, right? It needs a lot of power to get past that inertia of sitting still. Think about a train. What does a train need? A train needs a lot of power too to get rolling. But once you're rolling, then it gets a little easier, right? Uh, you can take the analogy over to a boat. A boat has to work to get up on the plane, get up on top of the water. Once it's cruising, it uses less energy because it's doing what it needs to do. An airplane is the same way. An airplane uses a lot of power to get off the ground. But once you're flying, then you're where you need to be and you're at a cruising altitude, things are a lot more calm. There's less turbulence, there's less waves. It's easier, but it's only easier once you invest what's needed to get there, right? An airplane that wants to save fuel can sit on the tarmac, but is it ever gonna go anywhere? No, right? So the effort is needed to walk. The effort is needed to get going. Learning to walk in the spirit is not an easy thing to do, but it's a totally necessary thing to do. And it's something that God wants us to do to please him. Walking in the spirit, in spite of the turbulence or the waves of life uh, that may try to hinder your walk and cause you to fall back to fulfilling the lust of the flesh, 
is the challenge. And we see the point that comes into focus in verse 17. The Bible says here, for the flesh lusteth after the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, one word to park on there for a moment is contrary. Have you ever had kids or seen kids that are contrary? Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, Pastor, you guys didn't have kids with you when you traveled to Kentucky, right? So I'm not going to ask if there are any contrary moments. You can counsel with somebody else. But, you know, what happens when you put kids in the car for any long distance? Nothing happens. Come on. It's nice. It's peaceful. It's wonderful. There's harmony. It's great. No, there's things get contrary, right? When you're on the airplane and a cold front hits a warm front, what do they call it? Turbulence. Now, are you going to get out of the airplane because the ride's getting bumpy? I wouldn't recommend it, right? What do you have to do? Well, you, or you have to trust your pilot. Your pilot may make some course changes, right? To get around the storm, to you know, work through it or whatever. But does your destination change? No. If you're being guided by the Holy Spirit, if you're being led by the Spirit, the Spirit might help you make some course corrections to change things. Your destination hasn't changed, but what you do to get there may need a little adjustment, right? That's the beauty of walking in the Spirit. We don't have to know what the next step is. We just have to be obedient with where our feet go and follow the leading of the Spirit. So, you know, we're not going to jump out of the plane because that would be, that'd be foolish. But, you know, we have the choice. We can walk in the Spirit and we can trust the leading that we're given, or we can try to do it on our own, live in the flesh, and follow how many rules was it? 613, okay? That might be a recurring theme through the message. 613, all right? Just to let you know. So it's your choice. What do we want to do? If you do hit some turbulence and you fall, repent, say this is not where I should be or uh, it's not where I should want to be, and go through the pain of having to learn to walk again. When you fall, when you fall off a horse, does it hurt? Absolutely. But what do you have to do? have to get back up no matter how it feels no matter how successful everyone around you might look that doesn't matter you need to get yourself back up and brush yourself off and walk in the spirit once again a good man falls six times but does what gets back up exactly right so verse number 19 here we see the contrast the works of the flesh to the fruit of the spirit sometimes we need to see things in black and white paul gives us a comprehensive uh, though not exhaustive list Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest. Crash. Here goes the airplane. Flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite the list. Now, there's a, some people will say, oh, I'm a five-point Calvinist or whatever, and I'm, I'm not any of that, but nobody ever says, I'm a 12-point on this list, because you wouldn't you know, want them here. I'd say, hey, Mike, get the door, you know? But um, so we see a similar list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says there, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, 
nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty challenging, but look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. See, the Bible will always give us hope when it points out our sin. It'll give us a way to recover ourselves from the trap of sin we've fallen into if we are willing to walk in the Spirit, right? He says, we are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So just one little observation. You know, those, those New Testament churches really had some messed up people, didn't they? I mean, look at some of the things he's talking about. I'm glad, you know, we're not like that today. Crickets, you know. And what do we see? Well, churches have people, people have problems, right? A church that doesn't have any problems is probably one that the doors are closed and no one's there. You know, the pastor and the grounds crew and, and nobody's there because there's no problems whatsoever. Um, what do we see happens? He says, you were like this. Some of you were like this, but you're not anymore. You, ye are washed, sanctified, has the idea of holiness, justified, declared righteous by Jesus, not by yourself, not by working it off, not by following 613 commands, but trust in Christ, right? And he says, and by the spirit of God. So we grow in our holiness and sanctification as we are led by the spirit of God. See how this keeps coming back to being led by the spirit of God. Returning to Galatians 6, 19 through 21, um, somebody put this together. They said, some have sought to organize the list of all the, the bad things into four categories, uh, sensual sins, religious sins, interpersonal sins, and social sins. He says, we shouldn't regard this as an exhaustive list, but it adequately gives the idea of what the person who walks in the flesh does, right? Um, the first you know, list here, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, these are all sensual sins. Uh, we're often appalled at the, the sexual immorality of our day, right? We look around and say, oh, it's terrible out here. But Paul, when Paul wrote this, it was probably even worse. It's hard to imagine, but it was probably even worse than you know, what we're living in today. There is ample evidence to show that the sexual life of the Greco-Roman world at the time of the New Testament was sheer chaos. Such evidence has not come from Christian writers, but from pagans who were disgusted with the unspeakable morality they saw. It's kind of bad when a pagan says, that's awful, that's terrible, because what are they basing it on? They're not basing it on Christ's standard, they're basing it on the secular standard, and when they say that's really bad, then you know it's bad. So you know the world we're living in today is bad, but we can have some comfort looking at what Paul says here and say, if they can work through it, so can we. If they can set that aside and follow the Spirit, then we can too, right? Uh, it says fornication here is the word uh, pornea. It speaks of sexual immorality in a broad sense. Uh, it was used for a wide variety of, of sexual sin. Um, you know, outside of marriage, all the, the bad things there. He says, Paul cannot accept any such view of the practice. He sees it as totally wrong. The Holy Spirit never led anyone into fornication. The next is uncleanness. It's another broad word. It refers to sexual impropriety in general. It should be thought of as the opposite of purity. It isn't just pure. Uh, it, if it isn't pure before God, then it is uncleanness. It covers many sexual sins that are not um, with another person even. It, uncleanness also covers impure speech or suggestive speaking filled with double meaning. The Holy Spirit never led anyone into uncleanness. Lasciviousness has the idea 
of ready to sin at any time. Now, you know, our armed forces should be ready to serve at any time, ready to go anywhere at any time. A Christian walking in the spirit should be ready to serve at any time. But somebody who's lascivious has the idea of ready to sin at any time. There is nothing restraining them from sinning. It speaks of someone who flaunts their immorality, throwing off all restraint, and having no sense of shame, propriety, or embarrassment. A disregard of accepted rules, conduct that knows no restraint. Lasciviousness can be thought of as public and open uncleanness. We live in an incredibly lascivious culture, yet the Holy Spirit never led anyone into lasciviousness. Sometimes we go through a list and we think, yeah, 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 but without actually understanding what's included there, we lose a lot of the meaning behind it. Uh, next up is, make sure I got my list correct here. Yes, okay. Next up is idolatry or witchcraft. These are religious sins. They are sins of worship and remind us that uh, it isn't only tragic to worship the wrong God or seek the wrong spiritual power, it is sinful as well. Idolatry is the worship of any God except the Lord God uh, revealed to us by the Bible and person of Jesus Christ. When people serve a God of their own opinion, of their own creation, they reject the true and living God. So it's very important to not do that. That is sin. Someone might say, well, I can, I can believe whatever I want. You certainly can believe whatever you want, but that doesn't save you from the consequences of your wrong belief. It doesn't give you a way out. The Holy Spirit never led anyone into idolatry. Uh, witchcraft is another one, is the service and worship of occult and spiritual powers apart from the true God. It also has another dimension uh, revealed by the word for sorcery in the original language. Paul uses pharmakia, pharmakia, right? What does it sound like? Pharmacy, right? And what is it? It's taking drugs, uh, illegal drugs, but even some legal drugs can be pretty bad. So, you know, FYI, guard yourself with that. From which we get the word pharmacy. Sorcery or witchcraft includes the use of any kind of drugs, potions, or spells. And they would take drugs, uh, hallucinogenics, uh, it's always associated with the occult. The Bible's association with that says, don't go near it, stay away from it, because it opens up a door, and we don't want to see what's on the other side of that door, right? Um, it's not something we want to go near. The Holy Spirit never led anyone into witchcraft, sorcery, or getting high on drugs, which is what that includes. So if somebody says, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about taking drugs, it absolutely does. You just have to do a little research and you'll see, all right? Next is hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, and murders. These are all people sins because they involve people. If somebody wanted to avoid any problems with people, even if they went to live by themselves, that probably still wouldn't work, right? Because you have to deal with yourself and that can be challenging at times too. So hatred here is an attitude of the heart. It somehow expresses itself in actions such as contentions, outbursts of wrath, or many other works of the flesh. Hatred is the inner motivation for the ill treatment of others. Just as love is the motivation uh, for the kind and good treatment of others, hatred is the opposite of that. Uh, hatred is an inner motivation. Laws can be passed to punish evil, but you're never going to stop hatred by a law. It's not going to happen because the law only affects what we do on the outside. It's not going to affect our heart. There's only one thing that can do that we can do to affect our heart, and that's to trust Christ as our Savior so we can then walk in the Spirit, so we have an alternative to, you know, following the flesh, living in the flesh. We see here, the Holy Spirit never led anyone into hatred. Variance has the idea of rivalry for prizes. 
It means the rivalry uh, has found its outcome in quarrelings and wrangling, also known as contention and strife, and simply speaks of a combative and argument spirit, argumentative spirit. The Holy Spirit never led anyone into variance or contention. If I said, what color do you want the new carpet? Christine says, I like purple. And maybe Bonnie says, well, I like orange. And who else can I pick on? Nobody's making eye contact. Sharon says, well, I really like neon. And, you know, Pastor says, we don't need carpet. No, that would be like more of a David. David's like, we don't need carpet. He's not here. Oh, where'd he go? All right. So all of those things represent our own opinions based upon our own life, right? And opinions, everybody has them. I almost said they're valid, but, well, opinion, everybody has them. But what do we do with our opinions? Are we willing to work together? Or do we get, like it says here, variance? Do we get combative? If, I forgot who I said what color, but if Christine wins with purple carpet, you know, she's gonna come in, yeah, I picked this color. And then, you know, you see mud all over it, a kid gets sick on it, or whatever else happens. What's the, what's the victory? What have you won? And if we win something like that, and somebody gets hurt in the process, how valuable of a victory is it? Not very valuable at all. So think about it. In other words, pick your fights. Is it worth fighting over? Is, is it worth what's going to happen because of it? Here we see the Holy Spirit never led anyone into variance or contentions. Jealousy, oh, another good one. The desire to have what someone else has, wrong desire for what is not for us. The Holy Spirit never led anyone into jealousy. Wrath, another great one, speaks of a sudden flash of anger. It's like a thunderstorm. Last night we had a thunderstorm. I was sitting on the couch and all of a sudden I saw this big flash of white light outside. I'm like, oh, I guess we're gonna have a thunderstorm. How did I know? Because I could see the signs of it, right? If there's somebody who is wrathful and you've been around them for any time, you usually know when the storm's coming, right? You can tell by the indicators. So it speaks of a sudden flash of anger, not a settled state of anger. It means to lose your temper, being unable to control your anger. The Holy Spirit never led anyone into outburst of wrath. A strife is next in line. It means selfish ambition, the ambition which has no conception of service to others and whose only aims are profit and power. Now, I'll leave the political jokes out of this, but some people run for office not because of uh, having a sincere concern for others, but to get what they can for themselves and to have everybody look at them and hear their name and see their name. And then they often hear their name and see their name in indictments, and it doesn't work out well for them, right? So we see here, strife or selfish ambition comes down to what's in it for me. To be sure, the Holy Spirit never led anyone into strife, right? These are all things that Paul says, if you're walking in the Spirit, this should not be a part of your life. Seditions or dissensions means standing apart. Uh, a dissension which describes a society where the members fly apart instead of coming together. If you were going to join a, a public group and everybody was always screaming and yelling and just having total chaos, would you want to join that group? Maybe some of you would, I don't know, but I wouldn't because it's, it's, it's a mess, it's, it's chaos, it's, it's not peaceful, and what will you accomplish? You'll probably raise your blood pressure 20 points, but nothing good is going to come from that. He says, the Holy Spirit never led anyone into sedition or dissensions. Heresies, it came, from, came to mean someone who divisively expressed their opinion or the wrongful dividing over opinions. Heresies can be thought of as hardened dissensions, people flying apart because of very strong, usually wrong opinions. Uh, reminds you to consider what saith the scripture. Before we open our mouth and share our opinion on something, 
let's consider what the Bible says and say, well, the Bible says that. So if my opinion is away from that, I need to get my opinion in line with what the Bible says to keep yourself in the right spot. Envy, it doesn't so much, um, it's not so much that uh, we have, sorry here. okay, envy, it doesn't matter so much, it doesn't so much want what someone else has, but it is bitter just because someone else has something and we don't. And that's just, that's just awful. We should be happy when somebody has something, right? As long as, you know, they got it the right way. Uh, murder, murder means murder, all right? Uh, this requires a very deep understanding and drawn out explanation. Murder is a work of the flesh, and the Holy Spirit never led anyone into murders. Uh, drunkenness, revelings, they can be thought of, uh, thought of as social sins, sins that are often committed in the company of other people. Uh, Paul includes these to, in the list that he shares with them uh, to help the Galatians keep that in mind, right? He comes out and says, you know, don't be drunk, don't go reveling. The idea is that they should be held to a higher, high standard. Uh, drunkenness and revelries as part of the Christian's past of darkness that now need to be cast off as they walk in the light, all right? Um, drunkenness is clearly described as one of the works of the flesh. Scripture pre uh, precisely forbids drunkenness. Not only is it falling down drunk, but it's talking about impairment, right? A lot of people end up in places that they never would have been if they didn't drink, and then there's no going back. What's done is done. Now you have to deal with the consequences, and it can tear people apart. It can destroy families. It's it's terrible. Uh, revel and um, getting drunk is a waste. It talks about the Holy Spirit never led anyone into drunkenness. Revelries is another one. It doesn't mean simply having a party or a good time. It means unrestrained partying. When somebody lives to party at the expense of everything else, that's talking about revelry. It describes the kind of revelry which lowers a man's self and is a nuisance to others. And now what I call the umbrella. And Paul says, and the like. So if I didn't include it in the whole list I gave you, there's going to be other stuff. Paul knew that we were pretty creative people. Oh, well, it's not in the list, so it must be okay, right? And he goes, no, and the like. This demonstrates that Paul understands that his list is not exhaustive. Um, uh, these are not the only works of the flesh. It isn't as if one could find a work of the flesh that is not described in the list and then be free to do it. So why spend all the time going through this list? Well, because in verse 21, he says the danger and destiny of those who live in the work of the flesh. Verse 21 here, um, at the end of the verse, he says, I, as I have also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that will get your attention right there because some people say, oh, just believe and receive and you know everything's fine, right? But we see that there is a change that happens when we get saved. It may not be immediate, it may not be you know full, but there's definitely a change. The Holy Spirit will indwell, the Holy Spirit will guide you and say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, right? Or do that instead. We're told what to do, we're given wisdom, but Paul comes out and says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to know the idea behind practice here. He's not talking about somebody who, who falls into something. Because if you look, if you consider, there's a lot of people in the Bible that were godly people who sinned. David is one of them. Uh, Peter denied Christ three times, right? But what happens? They were called out upon it, and they immediately repented. They immediately tried to get right. That's not what Paul is talking about. 
Paul is saying if somebody consistently makes a habit of it, has no regard for what the Spirit or the, the Lord says, he goes, they should check their salvation to see if they truly are saved. The word that he uses here, uh, practice, the word do, it means make a habit of. It's the same word. Uh, it means to do it consistently as habitual, a willful practice. It's the same word as used in Philippians 4.9. Philippians 4.8 talks about whatsoever things are just, pure, honest, good report, the whole thing. In verse 9, it says, and those things do. He says, make a habit of doing those right things. It's the same word that he uses in this passage. He goes, those people that are making a habit of doing this, that's part of their life that they're not actively trying to resist or you know, walk in the spirit. He goes, that's not good. He goes, you need to check and make sure that you're saved. And I think it's great that Paul points that out because just those words might be enough of an attention getter to get somebody's attention so they look at it and say, am I okay? You know, how did I get saved? Make sure they got saved biblically because what better way to be deceived by the devil than to be tricked into thinking you're okay when really you're not. Um, going down a little bit here, um, Paul is, con is consistent with the biblical idea of con conversion. When we come to Jesus, we have, to, we have our sins forgiven and our soul saved. He changes our life and it doesn't happen all at once. Uh, the work will never be perfected on this side of eternity but there will be a real change nonetheless. The idea isn't that a Christian could never commit these sins, but that they could never stay in those sins. Um, Christians also fall, and I mentioned this, perform the lust of the flesh, you know, but when their sins are brought to their attention, these men uh, did not obstinately continue. They didn't say, no, I can do this. They said, God, forgive me, and the Lord did forgive them. Uh, verses 19 through 21, it looks... You know, it's the whole list. It reminds of a long, dark night. All these bad things that he talks about, all these things that are, are if we're honest with each other, are part of our sinful, fleshly condition, right? It's a long, dark night. Charles Wesley understood the concept well, and he rehearsed it in verse 4 of N. Can It Be. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. But he says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Now, giving Charles Wesley some license here, the picture is talking about someone getting saved, leaving behind the things that were holding them back, and following Christ. It sounds a lot like being given our salvation, right? Being saved and being given the liberty to serve Christ freely. Not being constrained, as he said, with chains of 613 commandments, but following Christ through the Spirit able to do what God wants us to do as the Spirit leads. It's standing in our liberty and being led by the Spirit. It's a great, great picture. So what are we then led by the Spirit to do? If we take a look at the fruit of the Spirit, we'll see. The Bible, uh, let's see. Uh, we'll take a look at the next verse and see what the Bible says. Jump down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now, this is all in one. When you talk about spiritual gifts, you know, different people have different spiritual gifts. If, this, if you know what your spiritual gift is because you took a test recently, good for you, right? You'll know how to act upon it. You shouldn't look at somebody else and say, well, I want their spiritual gift because that's cooler than mine, right? This isn't that. All of these things are things that we should have as fruit of the Spirit. You can't say, well, 
you know, I'm a six, I'm a six out of nine. No, you should be all of them, right? All of them because all of them represent one complete fruit of the Spirit. And that's what God wants us to do. It's singular because it cannot be divided. We are to have and grow in all. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Martin Luther said, it would have been enough to mention only the single fruit of love, for love embraces the fruit of the Spirit. Love here specifically is agape, which is a love more of a decision than a spontaneous emotion or feeling of the heart. It's a decision to love. Just like Christ decided to love us, we should love him and you know, follow the Spirit and do what he wants us to do. It's a principle by which we deliberately live. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's been said one of the greatest marketing strategies ever employed was to position Satan and sin as the holder of all the fun things. Because if everybody sees the world as, oh, they can do all the fun, well, what's left for the Christian? Oh, they're boring. They have to wear suits and go to church, right? But it's, it's a trick, and Satan's very good at it. Joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. As we learned last Sunday morning with the Beatitudes, joy isn't based on circumstances. It's based on knowledge of who we are, uh, who, what our position is, and where we stand, right? If we're saved, we've been forgiven, and God has taken away our sin and the penalty for it. That's something we can be joyous about, no matter what our circumstances are. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Peace with God, Philippians 4, 7. Peace with people, and it is a positive peace filled with blessings and goodness. It's not simply the absence of fighting. Uh, here it means a tranquility of heart derived from knowing our times are in the hand of God, right? It doesn't matter if our wagon is bumpy, you know, going down the road, if the Lord's the ones driving. It doesn't matter if our airplane is bumpy. We trust the pilot is leading us the direction he wants to take us. We can just sit back and enjoy the bumpy ride, right? So the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Long-suffering is the quality which enables a person to bear adversity, injury, reproach, and makes them patient to wait for the improvement of those who have done them wrong. Long-suffering is not an easy thing to do, but it's important. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. The word has the idea of being teachable, not having a superior attitude or arrogant, right? Not demanding one's rights. It isn't timidity or passiveness. Uh, it's been said it's the quality of a man who is always angry at the right time and never at the wrong time. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. The idea here is upright in your heart and life. The fruit of the Spirit is faith. The idea is faithfulness and dependable. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And he's talking, among other things, but you could take the application of faithful in his life, serving the Lord, doing what he should do dependably without constantly wavering back and forth. The ability to serve God faithfully through the years and through the temptations of life is not something we achieve by heroic virtue. It comes from the Spirit. The, like I said before, the more we walk in the Spirit, the easier the pattern gets. I didn't say the easier it gets. I said the easier the pattern gets to stay walking in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is meekness, very similar to gentleness, not weak or timid, but having control over oneself and actions. The fruit of the Spirit is temperance. This is self-control with a spiritual perspective. Uh, where the world would praise an athlete for their self-control, being able to discipline themselves and you know work hard to be an Olympian, here, it's self-control, is placing our desires and passions in second place behind the will and the leading and direction of the Spirit of God. So it's pretty awesome. Paul continues in verse 23 saying, against such there is no law, which is 100% correct. 
if we are fulfilling, if we are having the fruit of the Spirit in our life, there's no law that's going to do that for us. We're doing what the law never could. But I said last week about, you know, a, a hypothetical question. If we give them their freedom, what will they do? Well, here, if we're living in the Spirit, if we're uh, producing the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to get things done that the law could never compel somebody to do. Why are we going to get it done? Because we're doing it out of love for all that God has done for us. We're doing it out of thankfulness. And when somebody does something out of love and thankfulness, it's a whole lot better result of when they're, of, as it was if they, were, if they were forced to do it, right? So doing something for the right reason is always going to produce a better, better result. We said here, uh, verse, um, it says, walking in the spirit produces the fruit of the law, produces the fruit that the law wanted to produce but never could. How did it do it? Verse 24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections, affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Crucifying the flesh, it means whenever the flesh rises back up, you nail it back down. It rises up again, you nail it back down. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about um, being a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice is somebody who signed over their title and said, here, you know, the Psalms talks about, I know who possesses my reins. I know who has control over me. When you give those over, you are a living sacrifice. You can, you know, when, when your temptations pop up and, you know, the, the flesh raises its head, you can push it back down. And that gets easier the more you walk in the spirit. Romans talks about that many times. Paul in Romans 7 talks about the things that he wants to do and not being able to. And it's a battle. And the battle is real. The battle is daily occurring. The battle is never going away until, you know, we're in heaven. But if we know how to fight the battle, if we know how to be successful with the tools God gives us, we can have a much better success rate. And when we get wounded and knocked down, we'll be encouraged to get back up faster instead of staying there groveling, right? Uh, verse 26 is the last verse of the chapter, but the chapter and verse numbers will organize later. Paul ends the chapter with a warning. He says, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul could see what would happen. Paul was a Pharisee. He knew how it was. He could look and say, oh, well, well, Mr. Tom, Tom's not here, good. Mr. Tom, uh, he's doing everything. He's walking in the spirit. And now he thinks he can show others just how good he is by walking in the spirit. Paul is telling the people in Galatia, in the church of Galatia, he goes, walk in the spirit, but don't use it, don't abuse it, right? Don't think I've arrived, I'm so good. Now I can, you know, lord this over everybody else too. He says, don't do that. Provoking one another, envying one another. We don't need to show everybody else how much we can walk in the spirit. There's not a, a silver-shoed power walker shoe available. You know, uh, if somebody goes for a walk, maybe a bunch of people go for a walk together. One person that goes for a lot of walks, they have really nice shoes. The other person that's just getting into it, maybe their shoes aren't as nice. The person that has the great shoes shouldn't look at the uh, person with the other shoes and say, I see you're just starting out. You know, my shoes are better than yours. How much of an encouragement would that be for the person just starting out? Would that be any kind of encouragement at all? No. What that person should do is say, hey, let me help you. These are some things I learned along the way that will help you walk in the spirit, right? Older teaching the younger. Be helpful one to each other. Paul's final challenge is to be on guard against those works of the flesh and not allow them to be misconstrued as of the spirit. Now, we're just about out of time, but I want to share one last thing. If you look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, 
Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. What better way to put to use walking in the spirit than what we see in Galatians chapter 6? What we see is somebody who is spiritual, somebody who is walking in the spirit, somebody who's doing what God wants them to do. They know their own weaknesses, and now they can see that they can help somebody else. They're, they have the fruit of the spirit. They're understanding what that is. Now when they come across somebody who is overtaken uh, in a fault, they can help and restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Verse 2, bear you one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he, have, he shall have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. So the picture here comes down to this. If we do what we're supposed to do, walking in the Spirit, we will be able to help others. We, walking in the Spirit gives us two things, among others. It gives us clarity and it gives us capacity. It gives us clarity to see how we can do right, how we can live for the Lord. It gives us capacity to actually do that. Capacity, having this capacity allows us to help a brother or sister get back on the right track, bear you one another's burdens, so they can get back to walking in the spirit as they should, and that'll be a tremendous help as they get closer to verse five, which talks about the judgment, the time of judgment. Bear one another's burdens, help people get rid of their, their sin issues now, so they have less to be responsible for when it's time for them to bear their own burden. How do we help them through this? We help them through it by walking in the spirit, by not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, and it gives us capacity to do those things. Um, the point is, there are spirit-led folks around that can help us recover quickly when, uh, quickly, they will have the blessing of helping another by fulfilling the law of Christ, and the individual being helped will have less to answer for in the day of judgment. Final thought for today is a book. And I would have brought it in, but I think my kids uh, got rid of it. It's one of those little golden books. You guys know little golden books, right? And the title of the book is The Happy Man and His Dumper. Have you guys ever heard of that one? Okay. So The Happy Man and His Dumper describes a happy man, and he has a little dump truck. And all he does all day is drive around with his little dump truck. And he sees these farm animals that got away from the farm, and he says, hey, do you want to ride? And one by one, they all hop in the back of the truck, and he drives around, and by the end of the story, he brings them back to the farm, and he lets them off, and everybody's happy, and things are great. The farmer's happy because all the animals are back. The happy man is happy because he got to help other people. Why am I talking about the happy man and his dumper? Well, look at what the happy man and his dumper represents. He represents somebody who has clarity. He can see all the little animals have a need. They're out on their own, there's nobody to protect them, they're away from home, they have to get back home. The happy man has a dumper. The dumper is his capacity. He sees the issue, he sees how it can be helpful, and he has the capacity to do something about it. So he takes his dump truck, he loads them all up, and he takes them away and brings them back. And you know what he does the next day? Probably the same thing. He uses the clarity that God has given to him. Well, take the story too far there. But he uses what God has given to him, and he's a help to others in the right way. He has clarity, and he has the ability to do it. If we could be like the happy man in his dumper, I think the world would be a different place. If we had the clarity and we had the capacity to show others walking in the spirit, show others how great it is to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, it would be fantastic, right? Um, 
that's that's it for today, Pastor. If you want to do the conclusion, we can. But understand, you'll never walk in the Spirit if you're not saved. That's the most important thing you can do today. No one ever has said, oh, I'm going to walk in the Spirit today without first accepting Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And when you get saved, God doesn't want to leave you where he found you. He wants you to grow. He wants you to set aside those things that we talked about, the lust of the flesh, and he wants you to put on the new man. He wants you to walk in the Spirit, and he wants you to see fruit in your life, fruit of the Spirit. With that, with making a habit of it, your life can be changed, and you can change the lives of others around you. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, just the clarity of your scripture that shows us um, who it is we are to serve, Father, how we can best serve, and what are the things that we need to set aside that are in our way. Father, I thank you for giving us the fruit of the Spirit, helping us daily um, to follow you so that we can uh, take advantage of the fruit of the Spirit and, and be thankful for it. Father, I pray that you'd encourage us by reminding us what we've been saved out of and from. Father, remind us of the reward that we're working towards. And I just pray that you'd help us to walk in the Spirit each day. When we stumble, when we trip, when we fall, help us to get back up quickly. And as a brother and sister in Christ, if we see somebody else falling, give us the capacity and the clarity to help them in the right way so we can bear their burden and save them from uh, bigger troubles down the road. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that you'd watch over us. And lastly, if there is someone here that hasn't been saved, I pray that you would show them their need to be saved. Father, help them to understand um, what to do. And help them to speak to one of us so we can show them from your word how they can be saved. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.